Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Well, I want to come to the Word of God today. Uh, and uh, again, we're continuing on with, with that series of Love Expressed. And, and this, is, this has been a part of my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm reading some books that are really stirring my heart in this realm as well. And I want us to make sure we understand it. And coming into Easter, I can't think of a better topic than talk about love. If love is the preeminent thing Paul talks about, then it won't hurt us to spend some time talking about love. So we talked about God's love to us. We talked about God's love to the church. So we talked about God's love to the church as the gifting of the Holy Spirit. We talked about God's love to the church just marginally. I'll probably develop that next week with leadership as gifts Christ has given the church. We talked about our response to God's love to us. One, one, one response was loving one another. I mean, come on, the world will know we're Christians by our love one to another. So we've developed that fairly well. Uh, and I want to look now. G'day. G'day, Jojo. How are you, darling? This is a family church. <laughs> we, uh, we, we want to we move on a little bit now to another aspect of our response to the love of God. So... There are evidences of God's love to the world. Uh, and we mentioned that in, a, in the earlier meeting that the, the, probably the most prominent historical evidence of God's love to the world, we all know, was Jesus. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son. To, you know, there's this, this gift of God which is Jesus, God come in the flesh, the Word of God becoming flesh and living among us. The Word was always existent. Listen, the Word, the word of God was always there, God, Father, Son and Word. The Word became Jesus and manifest on li- and lived among us and walked with us. This was probably the, the greatest manifestation of God's love to the world at that point of time, historically. But, you know, I actually think there's... a Another manifestation of God's love to the world, which is more powerful, but only because of that. So let me say, it's more powerful in reality of day-to-day life than what Jesus did back then. That's the most powerful thing. And this couldn't happen without that. So, so I want to grab a hold of it and, and develop what people sometimes use and misuse Scripture. So in John 9, 5, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we, people say that and, I go, uh, and it's good, except it's not completely accurate. It's not completely accurate. In John 1, 4, it, it, John says about Jesus, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In chapter 8, John says, when Jesus, Jesus actually speaking, says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, now that's okay. Uh, Paul even says it in one, 2 Timothy 1.10. It's now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I want to sing that song that Timu led. Because this is where this this verse this verse talks about it brought death you know destroyed death brought death death to death and life to to life he says wonderful the life of God the immortality we can inherit has come to light through the gospel so Jesus brought light or revelation to a matter 
in the matter of the destruction of death and the opportunity of life and immortality. So, so now we, we sort of touched all that and it still sounds like Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Well, let's go back to Jesus, Him speaking in that passage. Here it is, John 9, 5. He started off the verse, with, the verse starts this, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Well, here's a, here's a tough question. Is Jesus in the world today? Well, he's, he, he, the disciples watched him ascend and he went back to the Father. And the angel said, he's going to come back in like manner. What manner? Well, the Bible says he comes back with 10,000s of his saints. So when they watched up, he was taken up by a cloud of saints back to heaven and he's not here anymore. He said, I have to go away and I'm going to send you another comfort of the Holy Spirit who will be with you until I come back. So here's this journey. Jesus himself says, I'm not the light of the world now because I'm not here. He's gone. Now, I know he's left his spirit and the spirit of Christ comes in. But as a person, he's gone. And Matthew 5, Jesus said this in verse 14. You, you are the light of the world. A town built on this hill cannot be hidden. You, you are the light of the world, not Jesus. Yes, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's His Spirit that works in you. And it's His Spirit that shines through you. But the Bible says, you, you are the most powerful gift of God's love to the world. The church. Now, I know people don't like that. People have all sorts of problems with the church and the church is not perfect. Hopefully in the journey, we're getting better. But we are the light of the world. And if we ever forget that, we're going to have a problem because we want to pass the responsibility of being the light to Jesus. He said, no, you don't delegate back up the line. When the boss gives you a job, you don't throw it back at the boss. I can't do it today, boss. I'm paying you. <laughs> well, Jesus, Jesus gives us the responsibility to be the light of the world. Do, do, you, do you sense the weight of that responsibility? But, but, but don't take too much because the weight's not yours to bear. He says, cast your burdens on him. You know, he gives you the Holy Spirit. See, in John 3.19, in the NIV, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Yeah, it was Jesus. But light is still in the world. You. But the people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The same way they treat Jesus should be something we should just accept as normal. They are not going to cheer us on. The world is going to try and diminish and demean and criticise the church. And yet we have to, in the midst of all that, keep shining the light. In the midst of persecution, keep shining the light. I'm not saying be a doormat, but in the midst of all the hassles, keep a good spirit about it. Let the light that's in you shine into your world. Do not hide the light. You are the answer. You are the expression of God's love to a hurting world. 
I hope we're expressing God's love to a hurting world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Now thanks be to God, verses 14 and 15, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Some people are going to come into the light and find great joy. The light that you shine. Other people are going to see the light that you give off of Jesus and they're not going to like you at all. They're going to react to you. They're going to criticise you. They're going to badmouth you. They're going to tell lies about you. That's life. Keep a sweet spirit about the journey. Try not to take offences. Give them the Christ. If they persecuted him, the master, they will persecute his servants. Here's this wonderful journey. The church is meant to be the evidence of God's love to the world in person today. Because Jesus is not here in person. You are. And when you meet people, you need to be Christ to them. I need to be Christ to them. I need to be more and more like Jesus every day. And I do that by becoming more and more one with Him. But I am the answer. You are the answer. You are the light of the world. You are the evidence of God's love. Let me just jump back to Luke. Jesus talks about this. He talks about people who serve. In the NIV, Luke 12, 37, be dressed ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Obviously, lamps give light. Lamps need trimming. Lamps need fuel. What's the fuel? Well, the Bible talks about the oil of God, the oil of the Holy Spirit. We need to be fueled up in the spirituals so that the light of our lives can shine. Keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return. Wow. Is that the attitude of our hearts? Are we living in a way that we are hoping and expecting Jesus to come back? Or are we living in such a way that if Jesus were to come back now, we would be a little bit worried? I remember as a kid, early in church, not young, but teenager, older teen in the church, Whenever they had a prophet come, I'd be sitting in the church worried about the prophet exposing something in my life publicly. <laughs> no one ever felt like that, have they? Yeah. Just me? Okay, the rest of you are really living good. That's fine. And then you go, okay, why is that a problem? The problem normally was one I was aware of what I was doing and wasn't dealing with it. I was sorting out the lens of my life so the light would not shine out as good as it should. There's a plate, God, I want to clean the lens. I want, I want to get rid of that garbage. I want to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily snares me and entraps me. I want to run my race with endurance. It goes on in that passage in Luke about the servants and verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Sounds like a bit of a warning, doesn't it, church? Truly I tell you, he will dress himself and serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Think, think about the humility of this. While Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he's telling us here, the principle is if we will serve him faithfully here, he will actually wait on us in heaven. Oh, come on, pastor. I'm just reading what Jesus told in a parable, which is teaching a principle. It says if we do the right thing, if we live right here, there is a reward in eternity. 
Oh, you're just living for reward. No, I'm living for love. But love has a reward. Anyone who's got a great marriage knows there are prices to pay, but there is a reward that's far more valuable than the price you ever pay. See, as we heard last week, we're called to to love God by serving one another. But we're also called to love God by loving the world. Not the ways or the things of the world, but by loving the world and serving it by bringing the light with us wherever we go. The light from God's love that's come into our hearts by letting that light flow out of us wherever we go. Let it become a light and a fragrance to everyone around us. Will they love it? No, some will, some won't. So if we serve Him in the here and now, He will serve us. That's both amazing and humbling, church. According to Apostle Paul, there's only one criterion for greatness in the, in the New Testament. Only one criterion for greatness that God gives. It's faith expressing itself in love. How does it express itself? In work. Now, now some people want to take that away from that. And he says, well, you know, it's work. It's faith is a work. Oh, pastor, we'll deal with it in a minute. But works? Yeah, yeah, works. Paul talks about Jesus' teaching regularly. He says, went with Jesus. You call me master and Lord and rightly so in John 13. If I then the Lord and Master have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to copy. So servitude, servanthood, not forced but willing, loving service to our God is expressed in loving one another and loving the world. Church, if we're going to show the world the love of God, it's going to see the love of God in us. We are the light. We are the answer that Jesus says, you now I'm not here. You are the light of the world. I mean, I've been reading a book by a guy called Brennan Manning. Um, and it's called A Glimpse of Jesus. And he says this, having the humility and courage to serve is the way to true greatness. And he writes this in his book. It's a personal experience. When a young Baptist minister finished his doctorate, he told me that he wanted to have an international ministry like mine. At that very moment, Unknowingly, he disqualified himself from any role in leadership. Ambition to be a star in the body of Christ is alluring and seductive. It's also demonic, the glamorous enemy of servanthood and love. The steady erosion of servant leadership in the North American church, I would include the rest of the Western world church, including Australia, the deference shown to charismatic superstars and the bowing and scraping to TV evangelists deface the image of the servant Jesus. And make the credibility of the Christian leadership literally incredible. That's not credible. Love is service. There's no point getting into an argument about this question of loving. It is what Christianity is all about. Take it or leave it. He also shares a personal encounter where, when he had to learn to trust in God in the journey. And he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him by the words of Christ into his heart. And this is the words he heard. Nothing pleases me as much as when you trust me. When you allow that my compassion is bigger than your sinfulness. Trusting Jesus is absolutely necessary in every aspect of our lives if we're going to be the light. Trusting Jesus is faith. And it's only faith that pleases God. Trusting enough to serve others as an expression of the light and the love of God to our world and to His church. And loving them through His love for us. It's a faith step. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. 
He comes to God must believe that He is. And He's a rewarder, a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And that whole chapter is about faith. See, we often forget, and we'll come back to it now, we often forget that faith is always expressed in works. The works of servanthood. People often grab Romans 3 and Galatians 2 and say, well, it's not works. It's by faith and not works. Uh, They forget that Paul qualified that they were works of the law or the flesh. But there are works of faith. See, James says, you you see that a man is not justified by works. Sorry, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is also dead. See, Paul says, we need works. Works of service to our world. Works of service to one another. If we're going to be the light, but the works have to flow from a heart of love. How do we keep a heart of love? We have communion to help us. Straight away, it reminds us of His love and what He did for us. Then how can we not give of our lives for others? I mean, I freely receive salvation. The Bible says freely receive, freely give. I need to give this message, this light, this hope, this death to death and life to life and immortality, this revelation of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we saw last week about loving one another. We're seeing today it's loving the world. Gandhi said this, he says, I tell Hindus that their lives will be imperfect if they do not also study reverently the teaching of Jesus. And his view was study and study meant application. Serving one another in love creates a better world and Gandhi knew it. He knew it would take sacrificial giving to change our world for good and I agree. The only problem with this is that the teaching of Jesus if studied properly and applied to our lives, we realise without him we can do nothing. Without the love of God in our hearts, without faith in a rewarder, a God who rewards, without that faith and love that evidences in the service, service has to flow from that or it's, Paul says, pointless. It's pointless. And so the problem with that teaching from Gandhi is if everyone did what he said and did it properly, they would all become Christian. The problem Gandhi has is that the light of the world and the Christians was so dull that he didn't want to be one. There was no love of God shown to the lost by religious people who called themselves Christians. Gandhi tried to go into a church in India and they turned him and walked him out. I remember a gentleman in this church when we were in that building next door. During Christmas, um, we had our service, but he couldn't make it. So he tried to go to another church service in another church. And as he walked in, two deacons grabbed him by the elbows and turned him around and walked him out because he wasn't part of that church. And I'm thinking, how does that show the love of God? I don't care where people come from. They come into this house, they are welcome. They can become part of the family. Yes, there are behaviours that are unacceptable, but people are accepted. And I don't care where people come from. We want them to know the love of God. We want them to grab a hold of that. We want them to be planted. And in that planting in God, then love flows into their life and then from flowing in, it flows out. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So every one of us is going to have something cut off, which will be painful, that it may bear more fruit. The benefit comes later. You're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me 
and I in you. The same terminology Jesus used about His relationship with the Father. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. He's saying, I want that. I want you to have that same relationship so that we become one. One in heart, one in spirit, one in conduct. And so when people see you like they saw the Christians in Antioch, they would go, oh, little Christ, just like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We'll take that name. People who are just like Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As right as Gandhi was, he's certainly partly true. The service has to flow out of an intimate relationship with God. The service has to flow out of a love that fills our hearts, a love that fills us so deeply that it flows out of us naturally, a love that flows into us from God and the revelation of our relationship with Him that causes rivers of living water, rivers to flow out, light to shine so brightly. What does it do? It brings the revelation to light of the death of death or the defeat of death and life and immortality have come to light. The light we bring gets rid of the darkness and brings into focus the fact that there is on offer by a loving God who forgives us freely life eternal. That's what we bring to our world. The message that should flow out of our lives is that there's death to death and life and immortality available to whosoever will. Jesus evidenced life and the light when He was here. He is gone and we are still here. Church, we have to be the light. Not only do we have to be, we are called to be. The light we shine is the image of God that people get. Listen, the light we shine is the image of God people get. Gandhi said it, I like your Jesus, just don't like your Christians. The image wasn't anywhere like, and religion for years has given a wrong picture of God, like an old man with a long white beard with lightning rods in in an umbrella stand, ready to throw at people who sin. When there's nothing in the Bible that paints that kind of picture of God, Right through the Old Testament, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant loving kindness, a God who relents from doing harm, a God who cries out, why would you die? Please turn, repent, come home. The heartbeat of God is always to restore and to recover. He's a restorer of the breach. The Bible says, a smoking flax he will not quench and a bruised reed he'll not crush. There's nothing in the heart of God that's judgmental. We are already judged by our own works. God is trying to redeem us. He wants to destroy death. And He's done that through Jesus. And He wants to bring to light the message of life and immortality in Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing, church. That's how we show the world the love of God. That's a manifestation, a demonstration, an evidence of God's love to the world. We're to be light in the darkness of humanity, to bring hope to the hopeless, bring the solitary and lonely to the family, 
to heal a broken heart and set people free from the bondages of this world's systems. We do this best by bringing this Gospel. Because the light that John said was in Jesus was the light of the Gospel. The revelation that there's destruction of death and the light that there's life and immortality. We read it earlier and I'll read it again as I come to a close. 2 Timothy 1.10 It's been now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ. It's been revealed through that. We're the ones who reveal it now. Who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Let the singers to come. The Gospel is the good news. The good news that Jesus, God in the flesh, loved us so much, not just Christians, loved the world so much that He came and lived among us and died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures so that we could be made right with Him and inherit eternal life. The good news is He did destroy death and He brought light, life, brought to light life and immortality. And the Word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Well, the Bible also tells me, how will they hear unless someone tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the Gospel. That's us, church. We're supposed to be the people with beautiful feet that bring light to life and light to the fact that death is destroyed. It's you and me, church. And if you don't know Jesus, God's love towards you is so wonderful. And I'm sorry if we don't always express it properly. I'm sorry if the light we shine isn't as good as it should be. I'm sorry if the lens of our lamp might be a bit sooted up. But that doesn't change how good God is. It doesn't change how wonderful He is. It doesn't change how gracious and merciful He is because He says, whosoever will may come. Revelation says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Whoever wants to come, come and inherit eternal life. Come and partake of life. Escape death. It's been destroyed on your behalf. We do that by calling on Him. We come to Him and say, God, I'm so sorry. For Christians, the prayer would be, God, I'm sorry I'm not as bright as I should be. I'm not talking academically either. I'm sorry I'm not shining this message of light on the destruction of death and life and immortality that's available. Holy Spirit, help me clean the inside of that lens. Cleanse me. I present my life to You. For those who don't know Jesus, it's saying, God, I'm sorry for living without You. I'm sorry for living without you. See, sin is not necessarily wickedness. Sin is living without Christ as Lord. That's all. That, that's the primary issue. Sin is living without Christ as Lord. Some people have sins that are worse than others, but sin is living without Him. And when I go, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living without you. He says, if we will confess that, He will forgive us. If we call upon and say, God, I'm sorry. He's gracious and merciful. He is after repentance. And His promise is He will forgive and will accept you and He'll put you into His family. He'll give you the right, the Bible says, whoever calls on, believes on Him, He gives them the right to be called the children of God. Now that's got great positives and a couple of negatives. It means we're gonna be brothers and sisters. You have to put up with us. 
I don't know if it's negative or a positive, you know, but it's about the family of God. And so if you're lonely and solitary, God wants you in a family. He wants you to find a place where you can fit, a place where you can find hope and strength. Not a painless place, not a place with no struggles. That's, that's just not possible. Not until Jesus comes back. But to find His comfort and strength in the storm. Find the promise that He said He'd never leave you. He'd always be with you. So I'm going to ask a question. Do you want to get right with God today? I'm going to ask a moment. I'm going to ask people to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord, or maybe you did and you've wandered away, while, while everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And if you're at home watching online and you want to be right with God, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in your lounge room or your kitchen. Or if you're at the beach, lift it up. No one's going to know except Jesus. And then we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Would you do that? Let's pray. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, church. If that's you today, say, you know, I need Jesus. I want to be right with my maker. I want to have a revelation that death has been destroyed and that life and immortality can be mine in Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand where you are. Come on. Lord, I'm believing, seeing hands. Lord, at home, the people raising their hands. I'm going to ask you, would you pray with me? Not just those with hands raised, you can put them down and those here. As Christians, would you pray with me as well? Let's pray out loud. You need to hear yourself pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you today, cleanse me. Let my life shine. I repent and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. I believe that Christ is in my heart and I'm a child of God because of your word. Help me to live each day as a believer in Jesus. Amen. Lord, have your way. Let us shine brightly.